How is everybody? Good, good. Someone just whistled at me. That's, that's good. That's a good way to start off the day. Hey, <laughs> glad you guys are here. Uh, if it's your first time here, welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I usually don't wear a collared shirt, but I thought, it, well, yeah, I know. I, I do own some collared shirts. Um, it's today is proof, but uh, it was funny. Last night, I was wearing a collared shirt as well, but I didn't have any shoes on, so I was just trying to keep it real with the Saturday night crowd, you know, and just let them know I haven't sold out or anything. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> glad you guys are here. If it's your first time here, welcome. If you haven't been in a long time, welcome. It's really, really good to see you. If you come here every single week, um, glad you're here as well, of course. So we're doing things a little bit different. Of course, this is a very different weekend, probably the most important weekend in, in Christian culture and in, in Christianity, right? This is one of the biggest events that we celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus. So if you've never been here before, what we typically do is we go through whole books of the Bible. And we've been in, in the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. We've been in it for quite some time now, and we go chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, and we break it down. And that's where I'm most comfortable, teaching like that. We just take a book and we just work our way through it as long as it takes us to work through it. Again, because this weekend is different, the lesson is a little bit more different. And so I'm going to do something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone, something that uh, I don't do a whole lot. And uh, I'm going to kind of try to take on a, a big feat this morning. And what I'm going to do is I want to give kind of an overview of the entire Bible. We're going to start in Genesis and we're going to go all the way through, verse by verse, line by, no, 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 no just joke. Um, no, that, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's when everyone leaves, right? So, uh, no, but we're, we're going to do kind of a 30,000-foot view of the story of the Bible. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe you've been in the Christian faith for a long time, but you've never heard it put like this, all this book essentially is, and I don't mean that to, to demean the Bible or be derogatory, but all this book essentially is, is a love story between a husband and a bride. It's a love story between God, the husband, and his bride, the church, us, people that believe in him, Right? That's what that essentially is. And so we're going to talk about why the resurrection in particular, which is kind of right in the middle of this story, why that is such a pivotal event and why we celebrate it in such a big deal once a year, right? During this time we call Easter Resurrection Weekend, all right? So you should have a notes handout in front of you. Everyone should have got a notes handout. Has everything I'm going to say in there? If you have the app, which I think a lot of you have already downloaded that, if you have the app, if you click on services, all the notes are on there as well. If you have a Bible, if you happen to bring a Bible or if you have a, like a Bible app on your phone that you're going to use, we're going to skip around to three different parts, which again is uncommon for me. I don't typically do that, but I'm going to read a little bit from Genesis. I'm going to read a little bit from Luke, kind of right in the middle of your Bible. And then I'm going to read some from the very end from the book of Revelation in uh, chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, okay? And again, my hope today is to kind of show you a view or, or a glimpse or kind of an overarching theme of the whole Bible, which is this love story between humanity and God, okay? That's my goal today. I'll be honest with you, I'm nervous. And i uh, been nervous. This is the fourth time, and we got one more service to go, and people ask, man, are you settled down now? And I'm like, no. You know, I've had to go to the bathroom several times, and I'm just <laughs> leaning over, and uh, I'm okay. So, all right, we've made it thus far. I thought about putting like a red bucket up here or something just to kind of freak you guys out a little bit, but then I thought, that's not very cool, right? So uh, we decided not to do that. So I'm going to pray. You're welcome to pray for me. I'm going to pray for all of us, and um, we'll work our way through uh, very quickly through the Bible and um, see if maybe this sheds some clarity on, on why we do such a big deal during this time of year, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. 
We thank you. God, thank you, Lord, for everyone who came out this morning, whether they be a believer or a non-believer, whether they are just here because they feel obligated to family or friends or whatever the case may be, God. Everyone is in this room for a reason. Lord, I pray, God, that you keep your hand on me as I do my best to just kind of shed some light on what this book that we study, the Bible, is all about in the love story, God, and your feelings for us, Lord, and the redemption story, God, that's in this book. Lord, I pray that you give me wisdom as I teach that. We pray, Father, for every church in our community. We pray for every great nonprofit in our community. God, we pray for every person in our community, both believer and non-believer, that we would be open-minded and objective and that we would look for the truth, God. Lord, be with us today. Shed some light on how much you love us today, God. Lord, let us remember or let us at least learn for the first time how important this day is and how important our relationship with you is, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's rock and roll. I'm starting the very beginning of the Bible in the third chapter, eighth verse, and I'll go back and I'll explain the context of what's going on here in a second, but let me read a little bit. Here we go. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock or more than any other wild animal. You will move on your belly, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He, that's referring to Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, now one of my favorite parts in the entire Bible is at the very beginning of the Bible. The first two chapters of the Word of God, the Holy Bible, shows us the artist God. Now any of you who are artistic at all, or even if you're not artistic in here, I hope you can appreciate this. The first thing we know God as is the creator. He takes this big blank canvas. He starts to create the universe, right? Color here, darkness here, a separation of all these different things, the planets, the billions of stars hung into the galaxy. All these different things happen, right? We see the creation not only of the universe, but of planet Earth and creation of water, the creation of land, the atmosphere, the vegetation, this beautiful, masterful work by God, and we see him start to create all these things. Now, if you wanna get a little geeky, I'm gonna do that several times today, and get into the details of this. When it comes to the limits of God's creation, there are none, right? Almost a quarter of a million aquatic animals that he created, 10,000 kinds of birds, 5,000 kinds of mammals, 13,500 kinds of reptiles, I'm not really sure why he went that far, millions of insects, right? And look at the depth of God's creation. He is extremely creative, extremely artistic. Now, he could have stopped here, and that would have been impressive, right? But he goes on, and he creates the most complex and beautiful thing of creation, and that is us. 
Now it's interesting. God, you know, he makes everything and it says in Genesis 1 and 2 that he would step back and he'd say, that's pretty good. You know, I mean, he's God, he's a good creator, right? Like he'd step back and say, that's awesome. But it was incomplete because there was something even greater than he wanted to make than, than the universe and all the things on earth. And that was you. <laughs> so the greatest, the, the pinnacle of his, of his creativity, the most beautiful thing he ever made was mankind. And what makes mankind different and superior to everything else, and I don't mean this as a political statement or anything like that, but mankind is superior to the environment, superior to the earth, superior to even wildlife, because we are the only thing that is made in the image of God. We're the only thing made to look and resemble God. Not just that, we are the only thing that is eternal on planet earth that he has breathed his spirit into us, that we have a soul, that we live forever, not in this form with this flesh and blood, but our spirit lives on forever and ever. And of course, because we're superior doesn't mean that we're to, you know, I'm a Christian, I can like pollute or treat the world poorly. No, no, no. We are to steward the world, that we're to enjoy all the things in the world. And in that, that way, we, we help glorify God. And so not only are we the pinnacle of his creation, He's a relational God. He didn't make all this and like step back and be like, all right, you know, see you guys later. He wanted to have a personal relationship with his masterpiece. The Bible talks about that he would walk around with Adam. He would walk around with Eve, that he would talk with them, that he would spend time with them. He created this perfect environment and this perfect area for them to flourish, but not just with each other, but to flourish in their relationship with him. Now, again, it's funny now, not, not really, but it's kind of humorous. You know, in chapters one and two, God creates all this stuff. In chapter three, mankind screws it up. <laughs> and so it's interesting. Everyone in this room, whether you're a believer or not, has probably heard a little bit about the story of the fall, right? That right after God creates us, that there is this fracture that takes place. Isn't it funny how people blame shift? I mean, we still do this today. God says, Adam, what did you do? And he goes, it wasn't me, it was the woman, right? Eve, what did you do? It wasn't me, it was the snake, right? And so we even shift the blame to other people. We've been doing that for a long time, guys. But God sees this fracture. He sees this disconnect. He sees what has happened because of our disobedience and because Satan has come in and deceived humanity. So what happens is he doesn't just wipe his hands clean of humanity. He doesn't destroy it all and say, I'm done with you. God has a plan. And so after the fall of mankind, towards the end of chapter three, and I read it to you, God looks at the devil and he says, I'm going to send someone that's going to crush you, that's going to step on your head, that's going to put you in your place, and he's going to redeem this relationship between humanity and me. And so we see from the third chapter of this big book, Jesus is already mentioned. So here's what happens. If you have your Bible, and you don't have to do this, but this huge chunk right here, which is the Old Testament, a, a big part of your Bible, this whole chunk of your Bible is this pursuit. It is God running after his creation, running after his bride, relentlessly coming after us to fix this fractured relationship. It's almost like the courtship, right? And so from Adam in chapter three, all the way throughout the Old Testament, God would send people to tell humanity to change the way that they're doing things. 
that they should fix this fractured relationship that they have with God. Not only that they should fix this fractured relationship that they have with God, but they would also prophesy, they would foretell that one day God was going to send a savior. He was gonna send the hero, right? He was gonna send, as the Bible says, the anointed one to come and to be the catalyst, to be the one that opens the door for a complete restoration of this broken relationship. So it wasn't enough that God just sent people. God knew that one day he would have to personally insert himself into humanity to fix this problem. So in light of seeing what the Bible says about God, one would, one would wonder, why would Jesus come off his throne? Why would God come to earth, not only to hang out with people, but to be a person? Not just to be amongst mankind, but to be mankind. And as we know, as the Bible, the narrative of the Bible goes, not only did God come down to earth, he came in a way that we would have never expected him, right? He was born in a manger by a middle-class family or maybe a lower-class family we would consider, right? He was raised in the most humble ways, a very blue-collar kind of existence, right? He worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. He did masonry work. The Bible even says that Jesus wasn't even much to look at. You know, in the movies, it's always like the white guy with the blue eyes. We're like, man, Jesus was a good-looking dude. The Bible doesn't even say that. The Bible says that he wasn't much for man to look at. So he wasn't even the most attractive person. Not only that, but he came with the intent to die. And not just die. As the song said, he died a criminal's death. He died the worst, most humiliating kind of death that one could possibly imagine. Why? Well, one of the prophets of the Old Testament wrote one of the longest books of the Bible, a prophet named Isaiah, he gave a very graphic detail of what Jesus was going to do. So in the book of Genesis, we get a foreshadowing of the Savior. In the book of Isaiah, we get a lot of detail on what the Savior is going to do. And Isaiah writes that the Messiah, the Savior, was going to bear our sicknesses. He was going to carry our pain. He was going to be pierced, stabbed for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, punished, he was going to be punished so we could experience peace and that we are going to be healed because the Son of God was wounded. Why? Not because God made a mistake, but because we went astray, because we did our own thing. We didn't listen to God. We didn't have a relationship with God. We did what we wanted to do. Therefore, Jesus had to die. Jesus had to suffer. And it says that he was struck, not because God made a mistake. Jesus was struck because my people rebelled. We rebelled. We pushed back against our creator. We were against him. So again, as the story goes, and again, most of you know this, Jesus Christ was born. That's what we celebrate during Christmas time, right? Jesus Christ was born and again, lived this very humble life. At age 30, he took on a group of men and they started traveling around what is modern day Israel, talking about the kingdom of God, talking about that heaven is at hand and that people need to change the way they think and act. And God gave them the example through Jesus on what we should do, how we should live. See, what had happened is humanity had become so distant from God we'd become so off track, we'd become so dark 
that God said, I'm going to personally insert myself into the situation. You can go back and read the gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can see, if you ever wondered how God would handle adversity, we see how God would handle adversity through Jesus. If you ever wondered how, you would, how God would handle stress or how God would handle hunger or how God would handle people that were difficult to work with or what God would say about marriage or relationships, it's all in the gospel. He gave us the perfect example of how to live. So when we read those four books of the Bible, we see exactly what God wants from us. Not only do we get the perfect example of how to live, Jesus came with the intent to die. Isn't that crazy? He came with the intent to die because we should have suffered death. But instead of us suffering uh, for all the horrible things we've done, Jesus came with the intent of taking all the sins of humanity, both in the past and in the future and what was going on during his time on earth. He was going to take all that brokenness and he was going to pay the debt that we had incurred. Not only that, it just keeps going but he beat death. Here's the thing. I can die for you. If I love you enough, I can die for you. But there was only one that could rise from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, it proved to us that he had the power to restore us and heal us. And when he rose from the grave, God poured out his Holy Spirit. So now it wasn't just that God came to earth. After the death, burial, and resurrection, now God lives within us, and we can be saved forever. Now, let me reveal to you the darkness in Corey's heart. <laughs> you ever had like friends that were non-believers who were like, man, I can't believe a loving God would flood the earth and kill everybody. I'm one of those guys where I'm like, I can't believe God hasn't done it 12 times, right? <laughs> you look at humanity and I'm like, if I were God, I would have wiped us out a long time ago, right? I think God is extremely gracious. And so it's interesting, it doesn't take like the most learned person on planet earth to step back and look at humanity and be like, man, we suck sometimes. I mean, we are not the greatest sometimes. But God sees something in us that we don't even see in ourselves. There was a man named Carl Sagan. He was an astrophysicist, because I know you guys really care, right? But Carl Sagan said that planet earth was the pale blue dot. In fact, that's what he was famous for, calling earth the pale blue dot. And so what's interesting though, God who created this vast universe, we don't even have any idea how large it is, when he looks at this vast universe of hundreds of billions of galaxies, there's this little blue speck called earth. And on earth, there are these little specks running around. That is you and I. And God sees a value in us. He loves us immensely, and that's why he went through everything he went through for us. Let me give you an example. When you get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you start reading about the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. Jesus didn't hang out with like the cream of the crop. He didn't hang out with the best of the best. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One of Jesus' best friends was a woman named Mary Magdalene. Now, just to give you a cultural reference, Jesus' time was nothing like our time when it came to the relationship between men and women. Now, if you're in here and you're a single man, and there's a woman in here that's a single woman, right? And like, let's say you don't even want to have a romantic relationship. You're just friends. You can ask that woman or that man to go get a cup of coffee. It's still early, right? Cup of coffee at Starbucks, and no one thinks a thing about it. 
We see men and women having coffee in Starbucks all the time. Not a big deal. In fact, we encourage that, right? You know, like when a man gets to be a certain age, man, like ask that girl out and hang out with him. And that's, that's okay. It's culturally acceptable. In Jesus's time, you would have never seen a man talking to a woman alone in public. It would not have happened. So not only did Jesus break the rules when it came to talking with women, Jesus hung out with the worst kind of woman, Mary Magdalene. Now, he didn't have any impure thoughts. There was nothing sexual or romantic about that. Jesus was perfect, but he hung out with a woman who was known to have been demonically possessed at one time, and we speculate because of the Bible that she was also once upon a time a prostitute. So not only did Jesus hang out with a woman, he hung out with the most shady of women, right? And it was one of his best friends. In fact, the woman that first heard about the resurrection. Another one of Jesus' best friends, Peter, right? I put hot-tempered. That's a very mild way of explaining Peter. Peter's a guy that cut a dude's ear off, right? Cut it off, and Jesus is like, oh, Peter, and slaps the ear back on. And <laughs> We can laugh about it now 2,000 years later, right? It probably wasn't so funny when blood's shooting out of this guy's head, and Jesus has to fix that mess, right? <laughs> but Peter, <laughs> Peter, that was way too graphic, wasn't it? But Peter was a, was a business owner. He owned a fishing business. But this is a guy that denied his best friend three times in the same evening. So Kyle is my best friend. And I can imagine, you know, like if Kyle three times in the same day, like if you ran up to him and you're just like, hey, you're friends with Corey. Nope, never met the guy, right? <laughs> that would hurt my feelings. Peter did that to Jesus three times in one night. Another one of Jesus's friends was sarcastic Thomas, doubting Thomas. He was the know-it-all that no one would have wanted to hang out with, right? He was the one that even when Jesus resurrected and stood in front of him, Thomas is like, eh, I don't buy it. <laughs> Can I touch you, right? And Jesus said, sure, touch the scar right here, you know, but doubting Thomas. I don't even have time and room on this slide to go into the other disciples, people who perpetually failed and fell flat. And some of them were educated, some of them were ignorant, some of them had money, some of them didn't have money. But these were different individuals that were this motley crew, this ragtag group of individuals. These were Jesus's best friends. Now, what's interesting about that, all of these people were products of Genesis chapter 3. Of course, they weren't around at that time. But because human humanity opened up the door for sin, now all people suffer the ramifications of sin. We're products of this fractured relationship. So people are confused. People have emotional instability. We're guilty. We're greedy. We're disobedient. We're arrogant. We have a multitude of faults and insecurities, and we struggle with depression and anxiety, and all of this has infiltrated our lives because of what happened a long time ago in Genesis chapter 3. But as we know the story, God doesn't leave it broken. If we remember the fall and the beginning of the Bible, as we read through the Bible, we recall that God has been running after us. If we continue the story of the Bible into the New Testament, God sent his only son to die and rise again on the cross. That is the crescendo. That's the climax of the Bible. That's the event that changed it all. It changed the complete narrative of humanity. The cross paid for the sins. It paid for the disconnect. It paid for the failures. Not only that, because Jesus resurrected from the grave, 
it was proof to us that God could restore us. I'm not even talking about in, in, in eternity, that God would start to put us back together on earth. Now, what do you mean by that? Let's go back to these, these people we just talked about. Mary Magdalene, this former prostitute and formerly demonically possessed woman, this woman becomes one of the most influential and important leaders in the history of Christianity. Some theologians and historians believe that Mary Magdalene walked all the way to what is modern-day France, sharing the gospel and helping churches start. That we have Peter, right, who was restored just as many times as he denied Jesus. He was given the opportunity to be restored by Jesus. This man who was once hot-tempered and not the best communicator stands up at the beginning of Acts and gives the first salvation message. He becomes what the Catholics call the first pope, that Peter becomes the man that God gave the keys of the kingdom to, became one of the most important Christians that's ever lived. Thomas, doubting, sarcastic, know-it-all Thomas. He goes off into India, travels 2,500 miles away from his hometown, spreads the gospel 2,500 miles away. The rest of these fearful, scared, mistake-driven disciples become the men and women who flip the world upside down, who have literally been instrumental in billions and billions of lives being changed. That's what these people do. And this is because the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and because of God's Holy Spirit, these men and women could do amazing things. Now, all of the original 12 disciples, except for Judas who killed himself, uh, the other 10 disciples, not including John, were all killed for their faith. John, who was the closest to Jesus, the Bible says, as he wrote in his own gospel, right? John, who is the closest to Jesus, went on, and he was not killed for his faith. He was actually boiled alive and thrown on an island called Patmos. And when he was there, he wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, okay? Now, I'm going to flip to the last chapter of the Bible, and I'm going to read you one of my favorite parts of the entire Word of God. Here's what it says. John says, then he showed me the river of the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So here's what's interesting about the Word of God, the Bible. The story of humanity begins in a garden. And as humanity transcends into eternity, we find ourselves again in a garden. But this time it is in the middle of this beautiful, huge city. Now you have to use your imagination a little bit, though the book of Revelation is actually quite descriptive about heaven. But use your imagination. In the middle of, let's call it like a central park, right? We have this huge, beautiful city and there's this huge park in the middle of it. And the throne of God sits somewhere in this park or, or garden, if you will. 
And from the throne of God comes a crystal clear river that flows down and kind of cuts Main Street in half. There's a Main Street in heaven, right? And it cuts this Main Street in half. And as this interior garden of heaven blends with the Main Street, it says that the tree of life is on both sides. Now, there's a misconception about the tree of life. Some people believe it's just one tree. Most theologians believe it's not one tree, but it's a kind of tree. And this tree lines this river all through down Main Street and all in this kind of Central Park area. And this tree bears 12 different kinds of fruit every single month. Not only that, it says this tree has leaves on it that heal the nations. Now, what's interesting is there has never been a point in human history where all the nations on earth got along with each other. It's never happened. But what this shows us is one day we are going to have perfect community with all kinds of people. That we're going to come to a place to where people from all walks of life, from all corners of the earth as we know it now, are going to come together. And this garden and this tree is somehow, I don't know all the details, going to somehow be instrumental in healing the different things that have happened between different cultures and people. That these trees are going to be a part of breaking sin's curse. So the curse of doubt and anxiety and fear and worry, the curse of death and pain and hunger and all these things are going to be alleviated. And so this garden is not just instrumental in our spiritual restoration, it's going to be instrumental in even our physical restoration of humanity. And in heaven, as the Bible ends, it says that there's no more need for any kind of lamp or not even a need for the sun that the illumination of God will take the place of all kinds of light. I'm going to get real geeky here for a second, so just, just warning you, right? So when I study Revelation, I've taught it two times. I'm, I'm talking Josh Brooker into let's do it again in 2018. I really want to do it again. But in the book of Revelation, it's very descriptive about heaven. And it even mentions all the different kinds of stones that make up the foundation of heaven. Now here's where I'm going to get really geeky. When you study all the different stones mentioned in the book of Revelation, they're all called isotropic stones. You guys are like, wow, this guy is a geek, right? All these isotropic stones. If you don't know what isotropic stones are kind of known for, when light hits an isotropic stone, if it's pure enough and clear enough, on the other side of the isotropic stone, it shoots out every single color of the rainbow. <laughs> so imagine this. The foundations of heaven are made out of these precious, pure, isotropic stones. And wherever Jesus walks around, this light illuminates from him, from him, hits these stones, and every color of the rainbow shoots in every direction. You talk about creativity. You talk about beauty. And this is what we inherit. We inherit a new earth. It's interesting. The Bible says in Revelation that the gates of the city of heaven, the new Jerusalem, will be open all the time which leads me to believe that we will have this whole new earth that we can explore and see. And we don't know what it's going to look like, but we can go out and we can still travel and be adventurous and look out and check out this whole new earth that God has given us. We inherit this beautiful city. Revelation even gives the dimensions of this city. The city itself, if you equate it to the size of the United States, the city is half the size of the geographical United States. This huge city that is placed down on this new earth, tons of room for us to move around. And in the middle of this beautiful city, there is this central garden. But most importantly, above all those things that we inherit, 
humanity will finally have the opportunity to have a perfect, restored relationship with the Creator. John even says that we will get to look at His face. We have never got to see the pure face of God. Even when Jesus was on earth, it says that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. So we didn't even get to see God in all His glory at that point. Moses got to see God's back, right? And it says that it affected him so much, it burned his skin, essentially. But one day, above all the other things in heaven, we'll get to see his face. So this book, right? Now you're a scholar in the Bible. We've made it all the way through, right? Just joking. There's a lot more information in that. But the gist of that book, kind of an overarching view of that book, is a love story. We see that we are created, not just humanity, but everything, right at the very beginning, we are created. At the genesis of the story, we are created. Shortly after the creation, we see that there is a fall, that we make a mistake. We make a mistake, but God doesn't leave it there. There is this promise that one day, it's not always gonna be hard. One day, everything is gonna be perfect. One day, it's going to be restored. And so God pursues us. He sends men and women and leaders and he sends people our way. He even eventually sent his son and he runs after us relentlessly. And we see kind of the crescendo of the Bible, the action, the, the, the climax that changed it all, the cross, and not just the cross, what we're focusing on this week and the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he didn't remain dead. And because of the resurrection, we can now start to be restored here. We're never gonna be perfect here, but we can start working towards perfection until he comes back, that our fear and our doubt and our guilt and our shame and our lifestyles can be different. We can start to be restored now on earth, but it doesn't even end there. At the very end of the Bible, we see that God isn't gonna just restore us. He's going to restore everything, the universe, the earth, his people, everything is going to be made new. The old things will pass away. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hunger or slavery or abuse or any of the evil things that happen now. Those things will be gone. But we're focusing exclusively this weekend on this event, the resurrection. And again, the purpose of that resurrection was to open the door for our relationship with God to be restored. Not just to open up the door for us to be restored, but because Jesus resurrected, you and I can escape the ramifications of sin. Not that life's gonna be perfect, not that everything's going to be easy, but now because of his resurrection, because God poured out his Holy Spirit, that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live under the crushing weight of shame or confusion. We don't have to live a life of insecurity or rebellion or anger or depravity or hopelessness or worthlessness or overwhelming depression or anxiety. We don't have to be slaves to those things. On top of that, the resurrection gives us back the identity that God always wanted us to have. Listen. You were not made in the image of success. You were not made in the image of money. You were not made in the image of popular culture. You were not made in the image of those things. Those things will go away. 
You were made in the image of the eternal God, and God wants that to be your identity, something that transcends the temporary and goes on forever and ever and ever. That's the purpose of the resurrection. The purpose of the resurrection was to eventually give you back everything God always intended you to have. God has always intended for you to have a place where you can flourish, a place where there is no cancer or AIDS or or disease or any of those things, a place where we can have perfect health, a place where there is no war between nations. And I don't mean this political. There's no talk of walls or borders. There's no talk of nuclear weapons. There's no talk of those things. We have perfect harmony with all people. We have safety. There is no enemy. That we have freedom from both literal darkness and physical darkness. We have freedom from oppression. But again, more than anything, above all those things, the beauty of heaven, more than the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the perfect community and the river of life and whatever kind of fruit those trees are going to produce, above all those cool things, we get to hang out with God. Listen, I'm not trying to be emotional with you or to like, like tug at your heartstrings. I teared up when I was writing this and I was working on this. I don't have an earthly relationship with my father. I don't have a relationship with my dad. I'm 38 years old and of my 38 years, he hasn't spoken to me about 11 of those years. Now listen, I'm not crying the blues. I don't want you guys to send me emails about, you know, I I don't want any of that. That's not what I'm doing that for. But you know what I'm looking forward to the most in eternity? Is my heavenly father walking up and saying, Corey, let's go for a walk. You may think that's cheesy. That may not mean much to you. But all of you in this room who have fractured relationships with your earthly parents, I bet that resonated a little bit. The fact that the one that created me says, Corey, let me show you some cool stuff. Let me give you a tour of this place, right? That he wants to hang out with me, that I get to see him face to face. So this book, this love story is essentially this. It's about the fact that God came to earth that he lived, that he died, that he rose again in order to be closer to you, in order to have a relationship with you. And we don't wait until we can see him face to face. It starts right now. It starts today with us giving our life to Christ and we start the restoration process. And we start to look more and more like our dad more and more like our father until one day he comes back and he takes us to his home. I love what Jesus says. Jesus looked at his followers one time and he says, in my dad's house, there's a lot of mansions. He didn't mean that we're supposed to look forward to real estate in heaven. That's not what he meant. He meant to say, there's plenty of room for all of you. Why don't you come up to my father's house? There's plenty of space. And Jesus says, if that weren't true, I wouldn't have told you that. There's plenty of room. And like what Mary said earlier during the song, if you're in here and you've never heard this before, if no one on planet earth cares about you, which I know isn't true, but if there's no one on earth that cares about you, the creator of everything thinks you are the greatest thing he's ever done. The Bible says he knows every hair on your head. He knew everything about you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. He loves you. He loves you despite your failures. He loves you despite your faults. He loves you despite the things you struggle with. 
But what he wants to do is he wants to get close to you so he can help you with all those things. He's not a tyrant. He's not a bad guy. He wants to be our friend. And he wants to love us. And he wants to make us complete. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're new in this room, let me give you a quick rundown, okay? All around this room, there are tables with lamps. There's communion at all of those tables. We do that at all four services, all, all, all year long, at, at every service we do. Now listen, everyone in this room is welcome to take communion, everybody. As long as you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take that. Now the communion represents the body and blood of Jesus that we have talked about today that came and gave his life for us. Not just his death, though. That communion also reminds us of the resurrection. Just as we ingest that bread and that juice, the Holy Spirit resides in us. That God now lives in us, and he is putting us back together. He is restoring us. He is fixing us. He is helping and healing us if we will allow him to do so. Everyone is welcome to take that. Up at the front, there's also men and women who are always here to pray for you. They're at all four services every single weekend. Please come up and let one of these men or women pray for you. You don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to be shy about that. We all need prayer. Come and let them lay hands on you. Let them pray with you. If you have questions, come up and ask them questions. Whatever you want to do, please. And my last thing is, if you're in this room and you are not a believer, I'm so glad you're here. And all I ask of you, do me a favor, and if you're in this room and you are not a believer, keep an open mind and keep looking for the answers. Jesus said, if you will keep looking for the truth, you will find the truth. So if you will be objective, if you will be open-minded, if you will keep digging, I give you my word, you're going to find the truth. It's all I ask of you. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, thank you, God, not just that you came Thank you, God, not just that you died, but thank you, Lord, that you didn't stay in the grave, that you have overcome death so we can also overcome death, that we can live forever, God. You gave your only son that if we would just believe in you, we will never die, but we will have everlasting life for eternity with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you bless every man, woman, and child in this room. I pray, God, that you just give them comfort and peace. I pray, Lord, that they know how much you love them. And for every non-believer in this room, God, I pray that they felt welcome and invited today. And I pray, God, that they just keep an open mind. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in your precious son's name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys so much. I hope you have a great weekend. You're welcome to help yourself.